after midnight on a Sunday night on the East Coast, and you are listening to In This Corner, the Survivor Series Instant Analysis Edition. Yes, pro wrestling is back. The Brian Campbell is the voice that you hear. Nick Costos is a very handsome man. He's also a very busy man on this NFL weekend. He is idle, but we have stepping in a man you know well. Man, you love to hear from the Silver King himself, Adam Silverstein. Hey now. And Adam, enough with the pleasantries already. The people know what they're going to get right now. They're going to get an overfilling cup of performance enhancing audio, but they're also going to get a lot of jibber jabber and a lot of a lot of anger from the BC right here because we saw a Survivor Series card from Houston. That felt like a major, Adam. It very much looked like a major. It very much played out like a major. It very much was on pace to be, and this is not hyperbole, at some point during the mid midpoint of that main event, maybe the best card of 2017 for WWE, maybe even better than Mania. That was going to be the debate I was going to have with you right now, but the main event, Raw versus SmackDown, the traditional Survivor Series match, went haywire. And we are here to break that down. Uh, Triple H really inserted himself into the product, Adam. Raw goes over SmackDown. Triple H and Braun Strowman, the last men standing. But it's really that three-on-one situation down the stretch there that's going to draw the ire of a lot of people with Triple H turning on Kurt Angle, pulling Shane McMahon on him, then turning back on Shane McMahon. And we have a Raw victory Man, Adam, I mean, I'm going to break this down, but I need a minute here to sort of just like let the noises come out of me. I thought I was just going to be like, like I once said in uh, NLCS record in 2000, this is pre 9-11 with sneaking in six cans of beer to game six of Cardinals Mets. All right. At Shea Stadium. All right. So it's like opening up like a like a like a turncoat and you got like six cans in there. I was going to enter this podcast with like 12 cans of under juice, just overflowing, just being like. Brock AJ, baby, Brock AJ. <laughs> but you know what, Adam Cole, baby? We're not talking about that. We're not even talking about war games, which we'll get to later in this podcast. We're talking about it's 2017, and Triple H, at age 48, is once again making himself the main event, once, once again inserting himself into every situation, and once again just putting down the younger talent. And Adam, I'm going to tee you up in a second because I sent you a basically a, te- a text, a DM slide at some point tonight. We both said it. When Triple H entered that ring for the main event, it felt like a big deal. He still got it. I said, man, you can't really get too mad at him for inserting himself when he's still this good and he looks good and he's great. Fast forward an hour, I can get mad at him, okay? This has been described on social media to me as a fumble on the goal line. That's the best way I think you could sum up how we got to this point. Because, Adam, they had so many outs available, so much underjuice to be had, so many run-ins we could have seen, so many ways to plant those seeds and spin off to WrestleMania. And instead of leaving this card and talking about how great it was, we're scratching our head at a scenario that really shouldn't have happened. How could it have happened when you had that many outs to deal with? I'm an emotional guy on this podcast. I'm going to serve it up to you and say, set me straight. Or crap all over it. Where are you at? Because I can't get over that, how it ended. No, you're right on par here. Only WWE can give us three hours and 45 minutes. And by the way, it was a four-hour pay-per-view, six including the kickoff show. Three hours and 45 minutes of top-notch wrestling, storytelling, booking 
and then crap all over it in 15 minutes. Let's go like the entire match had its issues and we're going to get into that. But I want to start with the last five because that's really the most important thing. So you had Triple H, 48 years old. Shane McMahon, 47 years old. Kurt Angle, 48 years old. Orton, 37, but not a main eventer anymore, pretty far past his prime. And then you have Braun Strowman, who's age 34, but he's a neophyte in terms of being in the WWE main event. So, you know, he's he's still there. But these are the ages of the final five dudes. And and the, not just the ages, the statuses. The other four guys have been around for 15 years, 20 years. In, in a main event in 2017 where you need to build up your younger talent. And as you said, you had Triple H, they had Triple H go over. He didn't just do it by, you know, inserting himself into a situation with just Kurt Angle at the end and Shane and whatever. It was at the expense of not just younger guys and not just guys that need to get pushed, his own guys, Shinsuke Nakamura, Bobby Roode, Samoa Joe, Finn Balor. These are NXT dudes in the main event of a major WWE pay-per-view, and none of them factored into the finish. And here's the thing. It's like, it's not, the problem isn't, by the way, that Triple H was one of the last men standing. Because look, he just headlined WrestleMania against Reigns. And I know that that match is somehow both overrated and underrated now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and that, yeah. that buildup was great, right? Like, Triple H has been a part of big things and it's been fine. It's not just that. It's that, and it's not just the point you made, which is probably the smartest point overall, that this is why they don't have crossover stars, essentially, because right. they constantly go back to the well. That's not even what I'm most mad at. What I'm most mad at is what I mentioned earlier. There's so many outs available in how we get out of this and how we get to Mania, and here's the bottom line. The Kurt Angle-Triple H feud, it's fine. It's not that great. It shouldn't have been closing Survivor Series. It shouldn't have been the final thing because guess what? We already knew that Kurt Angle and Kurt and Triple H hate each other. Anyone that watched Raw this week saw Triple H pull Kurt's son out of the match and give him the pedigree. So that's already established. You're not revealing anything by doing essentially what happened tonight. Do you know what was revealed though earlier in the night? The Sami Zayn KO run-in where they turned on SmackDown their own brand, which they perfectly teed up well in that kickoff show. And that was an awful kickoff show. We're not really going to talk about that. The only good part of that kickoff show was KO and Sami Zayn and that last-minute match they booked, the promo they cut of saying why they weren't a part of the, the two under siege brawls because they said that's not our fight. That's brilliant. You had the backstage segment, which was a WWE.com exclusive, where Steph McMahon came in and almost looked to be like the devil on their shoulder trying to like maybe recruit them. That angle did break into the match when they turned on Shane. But guess what happened? Shane fought him off single-handedly with one chair, and they were never seen from again. Adam, correct me if I'm wrong. If this main event ended with Sammy and KO costing SmackDown the victory, we would be like this. I can't wait to see on Tuesday night what their thinking was, why they're doing this, what's going to happen next, are they going to leave for Raw, what's going to happen? Instead, we're left with Angle and Triple H, we already know, like, kind of why this is happening. I, I'm not interested to find out, like, what was, you know, Triple H's real reasoning now. It's like, this this bait and switch, like, the, you had the out, and you didn't take it. Well, they, they could have done this Triple H, Kurt Angle, Angle, in the middle of the match, and it still would have worked. It could They could have eliminated each other, or he could have cost Raw one guy. You know, th there's ways that they could have done that angle within the match instead of ending it, just like you said. And by the way, man, I, I said this on our, our preview podcast on Wednesday, and I said it to you on DM during the match. You know, I was expecting, obviously, and I think I'm not the only one, but I was expecting Kane to come through the bottom of the ring, right, at the end of the match, <laughs> grab Strowman, do something. 
They could have ended the match with that, and I would have been happier. And that's insane because you, me, Handsome Nick, we've all been saying we're done with Kane in 2017. We don't want him. But that would have been a better ending because at least it would have made sense. Like, at least it's something that says, okay, you're going to a Braun Strowman Kane. You're going to put Braun Strowman over. Now, granted, we're crapping all over this. Braun Strowman was put over extremely strong in this match. He eliminated three guys, Shinsuke Nakamura, Bobby Roode, Randy Orton. He got the best of Triple H in the end. But that doesn't necessarily change the fact that it's 2017. You have John Cena and Randy Orton doing the job repeatedly in multiple pay-per-views on multiple television shows, and Triple H refuses to do it himself. And and just quick on Cena, we had an argument during last week's show, Nick and I, where he's like, don't worry, they're going to explain on the pay-per-view why Cena's in this match. No explanation. No explanation, and guess what? He kind of got out early. Like, I know the sequence with Angle was fine, but that's not the point. If you're going to have John Cena get eliminated, why is Kurt Angle doing it? Why aren't you giving that rub to Samoa Joe? Why aren't you giving that rub to Finn Balor? Why 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 is someone not benefiting? from John Cena being eliminated. It doesn't make any sense. You're right. And I go back to the point of too many outs on the board. You know, you mentioned sort of half-jokingly you expected Kane to finish, and they could have gone back to that well. And by the way, it would have been horrible, and we probably would have buried him. Yes. But there were many other things at play. Jason Jordan, who had a backstage interview which sort of teased that he might come out later, could have really come out and could have turned on Angle on Triple H's fleet. And guess what? If they did that... If Jason Jordan came out and turned on his own father and the last two men standing in that ring was Triple H and Jason Jordan. How fired up would we be right now, right? That's one idea. Another idea was using Daniel Bryan, which gets itchy and it gets uh, icky if we don't know if he's going to come back. But still, he could have caused Shane. There's just a lot of ways you could have gone. And my point on the whole idea of Angle, Triple H not being that great, like, look, it's a fine mania match, all right? But it's really Triple H versus Sting, if we're really being honest, which was like the seventh most important match on that card. Yes, it over-achieved. Uh, yes, you had the NWO run-ins. It was all great. But we've now seen Kurt Angle twice. It's fine. Kurt Angle at 49 is fine, but it, or 48, but it's not great. That's not the WrestleMania main event. Yet that was allowed to be the main event storyline of this really great pay-per-view, right? Like, they didn't let Brock and AJ go last, which they probably should have. And and that's that's a whole other side argument. But you could have ended this match with a more relevant storyline if you really want to tease Mania of something that's going to be one of the three or four most important matches. And this, as things right, stand right now, just isn't in that. And that's got to be your your biggest thing because it's just so gratuitous. It's just it's that, just in the end, it's like, what are you trying to say to us? You just gave us everything we wanted. Is this once again WWE's way of saying? Hold on, we're going to pull that carrot back one more time. Is this is that a reality, or am I just like angry and, and broken down at this point? No, I, th- I think it's a lot of anger coming out of you, but what you said a minute ago was the most relevant. Um, instead of pu- giving us a storyline that was relevant to 2017 and WrestleMania, that actually matters, they gave us a storyline. And I don't necessarily know that Triple H-Kurt Angle is going to be a WrestleMania match. I think that could be maybe a Royal Rumble match, and they get into something with maybe Jason Jordan and Kurt Angle at WrestleMania. I'm not sure how this is all going to transpire, but they gave us something with guys that are not a top three or four or maybe five storyline on either brand combined. And that's how they ended one of their four biggest pay-per-views of the year. They ended it with Braun Strowman power slamming Triple H after Triple H got the best of Kurt Angle and Shane McMahon. I don't care about that. What? And if you're going to do that, and if that's going to be your finish to the match, then why aren't you giving me uh, Brock Lesnar and AJ Styles in the main event? 
Uh, you're damn right. And and I don't come in here wanting to rip on trips because if you hear me in this podcast with with knowing what we know about the backstage of WWE, I'm always the guy saying, give Triple H the book, like let him do whatever he wants because it's always gold. It's not Vince and Kevin Dunn in, in the, you know, sort of the 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 status quo what you're used to the frustrating side of that but you can't defend triple h and even though he had good moments early in the match even though the first half of this match this main event i thought was very good i mean yeah. that interplay between you know triple h and bobby Roode with with the with the doing the glorious hands into the socket that was all fantastic stuff but you know what it also was triple h kind of inserting himself into the match the best moment of that match was finn balor and shinsuke staring off and they had those little moments of chain wrestling and it was Triple H who stepped in front of it. And I know that's like like maybe like a reach too far in terms of nitpicking, but it kind of set the tone for the whole evening and what we saw and the fact that in the end there were three out of four guys remaining who were over age 46. It's like, why are we doing this when you have so many superstars to build? I know at this point I'm just reaching back and, re and replaying points out yeah. of frustration, but I just feel like Mean Gene right now. <laughs> we should not be at this moment right now complaining. We should be talking about AJ and Brock. And again, we're going to get there in five minutes. But yeah. why are we at this moment? Why WWE? You you did allude to the fact that the first half of this match, maybe the first two thirds of this match, it was good. I mean, you, you said it. you got Triple H, you know, the creator head to head with Nakamura. You got him with Bobby Roode. You saw Cena and Samoa Joe together. You saw Cena and Kurt Angle square off which last happened, not last happened, but, you know, was Cena's first match in WWE and there were people screenshotting that and showing back and forth and, you know, what's happened in however long that's been, 15, that, 20 that years That was a callback. That was perfect. Perfect callback. It, awesome callback. You had uh, Randy Orton hitting Kevin Owens with that RKO out of nowhere. And even hitting, the, the, hitting, Cena, the Cena Joe stuff back and forth really made me want to see them in a program together. Absolutely. Hitting Finn Balor, I think, also with the RKO out of, out of nowhere. So, I didn't like that he pinned him and got got over, but there were moments in this match and the build during the match was very good. It gave the, the smart fan and just the regular fan a lot of little things to hang their hat on and say, you know what, WWE is gonna is doing a really good job closing this pay-per-view with this match until the final 15 minutes. Yes. Um, I want to kind of pick a hole in my, the own, my own point. I kind of compared Angle Triple H to Triple H Sting. But now I'm thinking back in my head. Didn't they close Summer or Survivor Series 2014 with Sting? And wasn't that the big reveal? With Rollins or no? No, with with uh, with Sting and Triple H. Wasn't Sting's arrival the big reveal at the uh, at the Survivor Series 2014? I'm trying to think back. I, don't even, I can't even think that far back at this point. If that not at midnight, not at not at not at 12:15 a.m. on the East Coast coming yes, out. Yes, the, the last six-hour Survivor Series. I don't remember. Okay, the last match of the night, Sting appeared to make his WWE debut. And, okay. and he has a stare down with Triple H. So, you know what? I kind of this is kind of yeah. consistent with WWE, right? Cuz that may have only been the fifth or sixth most important match of WrestleMania 31, but guess what, Campbell? It closed Survivor Series 4 months earlier and the same things probably happened here. Look, I get it. We're just kind of complaining here, but it did put a, you know, it put a damper no, on the No, I don't think that's fair. I don't think it's fair to say that we're complaining here. I mean, I think we're making legitimate points that WWE had us in the palm of their hands as they so often do and failed. Well, that, and yeah, it's a heartbreaking it's a, thing. I think I exchanged that over DM to you. I'm like, I can't go through these emotional things. Like, if they're going to be bad, be bad consistently in a row so my expectations aren't that high. But the fact that they, they build you up, you know, and NXT was the appetizer. Then you get this main course that, you know, we're like, how is Survivor Series going to live up to War Games? Well, guess what? It did. It was better and it was amazing. And it's like this emotional roller coaster. I don't want to go on at age 39. I'm sorry. I just don't want to do it. 
No, you're right. And I think we've nitpicked this pretty well, in my opinion, at least. So I think what we should do now, and you tell me if you're okay with that, is I want to move on to the heavyweight championship match. Or not heavyweight championship match, but the champion versus champion in the heavyweight division. Brock Lesnar, universal title against AJ Styles, WWE title. Tell me what you thought of this barn burner. This is a uh, this is a four and a half star and a match. However you want to rank it, I mean the only thing that keeps this from being a you know a true instant classic and a contender for match of the year is that it was 15 minutes. But how could you ask? for anything more than what we got in this match. And it's probably the perfect transition to get away from, you know, going going ad nauseum on whining when this was such a good moment. This was the peak, the cherry on top of what made the undercard so strong in here. They played their roles, Adam, so perfectly. Like, on, like at, at its core, it's David versus Goliath booking. And they played that out perfectly with Brock dominating the first half of the match. You know, nobody sells a German like AJ Styles, and we expected to see that. But to see him go head over heels, to see him go from one corner to the other on a German suplex, it's just beautiful to watch. But this match wouldn't have been as good as it was if Brock doesn't sell on that level in the second match, in the second half. And yes, AJ carried this match overall, but we don't, and this wasn't like top shelf in shape, Brock. This was a little like little yeah. tiny bit flabby winter is coming. It's probably already negative five <laughs> degrees in Manitoba on his farm, wherever he lives out there. But this was Brock willing to play ball, which we don't always see. I go back to that turning point moment at the end of the match when Brock's tied up in the calf crusher and the expressions on his face, like you believed he was in pain. You believed in the storyline he might actually tap, and it would have been acceptable. It actually would have, like, I mean, no, we know it's not going to end like that, but he had built us up to believe that, and then he goes from 0 to 60 and turns back into this vicious, violent destroyer and slams the back of AJ's head to the mat. That's one example of why this match was so perfect. If it had been longer, you know, it would have been an A-plus perfect match. This was a WrestleMania main event match, and we got it as a as a treat one-off. And that's really the theme of this whole card. Like, this was, for the first time in many years, a true all-star game card. We got a lot of gifts on here that maybe we didn't deserve. Like, maybe storyline-wise, we didn't deserve it. But, Adam, could you have asked for any better the way this played out, even through the finish, which I thought was absolutely perfect? When we discussed this match on Wednesday, we basically said that we knew Brock Lesnar was going to go over. The question was what they did with AJ Styles. And I think they delivered in every possible way they could have to make AJ look as strong as possible in a losing effort. You told me this, you just said a few minutes ago, this match was 15 minutes. I had no idea. I thought this was a 20, 25 minute match. That's how good it was. That's how enthralled I was in it. And that's how great the action was. And you talked about Lesnar selling. I think this might've been, and, and I may have to go back and, and restate this on Wednesday, but I think this might've been Brock Lesnar's best match in his new WWE run since he came back from UFC. That's how good it was. That's how good of a job he did selling for AJ Styles. That's how good of a job AJ Styles did selling for Brock Lesnar. You're talking about German suplex flying across the ring one time, a full 360 degree front backflip, I guess. Another time, um, he hit three phenomenal forearms, forearms, one outside the ring, you know, jumping over the top ropes, one off the steel steps, another one inside the ring. Um, and then you mentioned Brock Lesnar kind of turning it on at the end again. When AJ had him in that calf crusher and he put his arm around his neck and slammed his head into the canvas five times, I stood up and I go, whoa. Like, like that's the type of reaction that you want WWE to give you when you watch a match, especially at our age, especially with how much wrestling we have seen. I thought you gave it an A. I think it's an A. 
I think it's a contender for match of the year in WWE, and I don't think there's any question about it because not every match of the year has to be a technical 30, 35-minute masterpiece. You can have a balls-to-the-wall action, just completely captivating you match, and this was one of those. Yeah, I mean, which was basically Lesnar-Goldberg at Mania was one of those, like a also heavyweight true. slugfest. Uh, you said a lot of, a lot of really... A lot of really good things there. I, I have this thing in, in my boxing coverage. I, I call things involuntary shadow box fights. When you when you when you hear a fight's <laughs> announced, if you're just standing up and walking away from your computer and throwing punches without even thinking, realizing you're doing it, you said you did it after this match. After I sent in the recap for this match, I stood up and, and I'm just throwing like fists in the air before I even realize it. And like that's the feeling that you want to get. I mean, this was a dream match. How could it have exceeded expectations? And it did. It actually did. And you mentioned, you know, Styles probably gave Lesnar his best, you know, best WWE match on this run for him. And man, how many times are we saying that? Roman's best match, my favorite Roman match, was against Styles, right? I mean, I can go on right. and on down the board from Jinder Mahal through like Kevin Owens, or, or maybe like the Kevin Owens Sammy Sammy Zayn better. But that's the point: is every guy Dean Ambrose's best match ever? I've seen 2016 TLC against AJ Styles, one across the board. He's so deserving of of this to be a real Mania main event feud. And I know that this finish happened this way because they got that plan. The plan is, like we always talk about, is Brock and Roman Reigns, and it makes sense. I don't think they would alter that plan. But at some point, AJ Styles is going to deserve what he deserves. And what he deserves is the main event of WrestleMania. Like, we're there. It's happening right now. We're there. Like, we don't know how long his run is going to be. And maybe he'll end up getting there when he's a little bit past, you know, maybe, maybe it'll be like Shawn Michaels against The Undertaker twice right. in a row, and he'll have those moments. And that's fine if that happens. But while he's still sniffing the end of his absolute prime right now, maybe not physical, but combined physical and mental, man, I want to see him in that spot. And if is there a better is there a better opponent than Lesnar? Like we always think, okay, I want I want AJ against Finn. I want him against workers. I want AJ Seth Rollins. Imagine what that'd be like. No. This might actually be the best matchup because who's going to sell like that? You know, like it's it's perfect. Yeah, I don't know that Styles. Not, I mean, you know, we've been talking about Styles Nakamura at WrestleMania, and they may be going there. You know, not in the main event, but a co-main or you know something like that. They've been building towards that, and we've been talking about that as the dream match. But I don't know if that's the case anymore. The the Styles Finn Balor match was incredible. I want to see that again. I'd like to see it for a title in a main event scenario. I want to see this match again. I want to see Styles Cena one more time, you know, a, a tiebreaker. I don't know if it's two one Cena or what, what that's or two one Styles, but I want to see that. Matt, I want to see that feud again. Uh, I want to see Styles Joe. Like, there's a lot of things that AJ Styles can do in WWE, whether it's main eventing a pay per view like WrestleMania or a SummerSlam, and and being a top match at WrestleMania, but not the main event that he should be primed for. Um, I I just there's no question to me anymore that he's the best wrestler in in, in the company. And I think this match and this show went to further my point that I've made previously, and I don't want to get off on a tangent here. But if WWE did bring Kenny Omega in, he can still have high-quality five-star matches in WWE as long as he's booked as well as AJ Styles has been booked. It's not going to be every single time, and Styles is okay with that. He knows he's going to have to job to James Ellsworth a couple times, <laughs> but he's also going to be able to put on classics against Brock Lesnar and Finn Balor, and that's kind of 
what I've been talking about. I think tonight proved that point yeah, that I've been trying to make. And that's got to give you the confidence. If, if guys like me are like, you know, no, Kenny, don't ever want to go to high school, right? Like, don't ever go to WWE. Stay, you know, stay, stay. But at the same time, the AJ booking gives you that confidence that maybe they can do do somebody right. Well, they've obviously done AJ right. But let's do him even better than right. You know, like, let's right. give him what he deserves. This was an absolute classic. Could not ask for anything more. And Adams may be surprising to some transitioning in the same match on the women's side. I don't yeah. think I could have asked for anything more from Charlotte Flair and Alexa Bliss. And I thought it was justified to sort of greet, make the greedy argument of, come on, WWE, five-day buildup, like they deserve better. And guess what? They do deserve better. And while we probably won't see this too at Mania because for all we know, Ronda Rousey is going to be involved in four horsewomen and four horsewomen, that's fine, completely fine. Uh, this... This is probably this might be the best singles matchup. I mean, we Oscar's a wild card. We'll see how how good they can book her tonight. Was a great step for Oscar, but I, you always think it's going to be Sasha Banks Charlotte is your best possible matchup. Like, no, it's this matchup because that chemistry was incredible. And something you and I talked about offline was this was a great match, and it wasn't a great match in the way of big spot, big spot, big spot. This was psychology. I mean, every inch, every tiny detail was perfect. Bliss played the heel so well from screaming matches with the referee to the to the, you know, the resting Bliss face like she does. And Charlotte really played well as the baby coming underneath having the injuries. I really like wanted to give this as high a grade as I reasonably could. How much do you think this was embodying the best of what WWE could be in a women's singles match? It was close. I think when you have uh, Banks, you know, out there. You have Oscar out there. You have Becky Lynch out there, who continues to get buried every chance WWE has with her. There's other options. Um, I think there's better wrestlers than Alexa Bliss. I don't know how many better storytellers there are than her because of her face, because of her words, the way she can sell. Um, but I still think Flair Banks is your top tier WrestleMania match. I, if you're if you're gonna have flair ever main event to wrestlemania it probably has to be against rousey but i think in a year or two you could build to a main event of SummerSlam. you know sasha banks against charlotte flair in brooklyn and i think that is your combination of in-ring quality storyline build great on the mic everything what this match proved is that wwe's women's division across the board and it's not just these two it's something special and they are doing them right finally and well, it's taken a not long, consistently long doing time. them right though finally because you just made a great point this felt like nxt booking for women in a good way like right this felt like the way nxt matches over the last three years have been booked and it it was just gritty like you know what yeah. i mean there was so much in between stuff that's what i kind of it's hard to really describe what i'm trying to say Let but me, like in yeah. between moves facial express there's so much in between stuff loaded that made this fight so good like you made a great point sasha banks and charlotte probably the two best that can give you a great technical match but this felt like in what like a really good old school '80s and '90s men's match yeah. in the fence set. There's so much attention to detail in there, and that's really Bliss's strength. Let me clarify. I didn't mean from I, I said it that way, but I didn't necessarily mean from storyline standpoint. I meant more from they're actually training them to do the job of being a professional wrestler in 2017, and that was not the case. You, everyone knows women's wrestling in WWE was TNA. You know, it was divas, and and they said they changed it, and they've built up and built up to it. They can have a steel cage match and a hell in a cell and do all these things to say that women are on equal footing. But it's when you book matches like this, the way this was booked, the way the story was told and the time it was given on the show that actually proves that. And it's where this match in a weird way was almost because there's no title on the line. 
this was because it's not like like on the men's side, we know we're probably getting Brock Roman. So the finishes have to sort of set that up. This one was almost sort of a showdown of like who right now is the best female in the company. Like, yes, I think it's Asuka and that's a whole other argument. But in terms of what they've done lately and putting them in this match, this was almost like a de facto here are our two best women in terms of how they've performed lately. Who's the best? And if that's the setup, it was right for Charlotte to go over. Like, the booking was perfect. The whole execution start to finish. Like, it's very few rare times. Let's be really honest. It's very rare since that Charlotte-Sasha feud to end 2016 that we have a women's pay-per-view match where we exit it feeling really good. We may have done it for a couple multi-women match, but the only other one I can remember this calendar year was that Sasha Banks Alexa Bliss one? I don't remember which pay per view that was. There was one in particular where their chemistry was so jazzed up that we're like, let's see these guys, let's see these two women go for like four or five months, six months. This is the only other match that I can I can put that for. So, ha- bravo WWE. How about a few months ago we were watching Naomi versus Lana? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Let's let's move off the women. Let's head over to the tag team match, which I thought was fantastic. N- didn't necessarily live up to my expectations. Curious what you think. The Usos went over against the bar. So SmackDown won. Um, what do you think? How'd it go for you? It's a weird spot. It was a really good match. Like this was a, one of those potential to be the sleeper one to steal the card. I don't think they were hard to say this and make it make sense. I don't think they were going to be allowed to have the match of the night, if that makes any sense, right? They weren't going to give be given the time. And I felt like both teams have had better pay-per-view matches lately in their own specific title feuds. That set the foundation that they could have had a great match. And I think it fell just short. It was a really damn good match. And it had all the near falls that you would want, all the creative double team spots, and specifically that ending with, you know, one Uso tagging himself in and then leaping over to hit Cesaro. The other guy coming off the top. Brilliant. The double super kicks back-to-back on both Cesaro and Sheamus. It's about as, you know, as good as it can get considering what it may have been up against. I don't know if that's a real argument. Did these guys know coming in, you're not going to be allowed to go out there and have a five-star match? Is that a real thing in WWE? I'm not sure. I tend to believe it might be, but it's 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 a gray area. But I think for the placement on the card and what they were up against, you can't say anything negative against them. Like, they, try, they tried to maximize their opportunity. No, I think you nailed it. The A-plus finish, in my opinion. A-plus. No, like, perfect finish to a match, a tag team match. B match overall, just really solid. We thought sneaky match of the year contender didn't live up to that. And I think we were giving the Usos a lot of credit for their feud with the New Day. And maybe at least I was not taking into account that was 50-50. I mean, the Usos are great. New Day is great. Together they are. They just happen to be amazing. And you know they wrestle on TV however many times we saw them, five, six, seven. But they're also doing a billion other house shows. So, you know, that was a feud that they had been used to working. This one, not so much. Let's move over to the mid-card uh, champion versus champion match. You had Baron Corbin, United States champion, going over the Miz. Uh, Maurice was in the crowd, pregnant. You know, first appearance she's made since they made that announcement. Corbin kind of played into that a lot. You obviously had the social media feud going into it with Corbin really saying some pointed things about Miz's wife and unborn child and Miz getting really upset. And you also had the Miz Taraj ringside the entire match. They didn't get thrown out, yet Corbin still went over BC. How'd that play out for you? I mean, for the limitations that this match had, and obviously it did, these aren't two top-shelf workers, and certainly they're not going to have chemistry with each other. This is about as good as you could have wanted this match to be, and I think Corbin stole the show, and this is something I wrote about in the recap, that like, you know, if, if the failed cash-in of Money in the Bank ahead of SummerSlam was his low point, 
this may not be the highest, but this might be the highest yet. Like, he, you know, there's more that he could do, but he looked perfect in this match. You know, like he was diabolical in the beginning, going up to Maurice and, and, and punching Miz in the face and sort of having that moment. He fought from under, almost like a baby face for most of the match, though, and I kind of like that they worked in that, that, that uh, kayfabe knee injury, and it played a big part. And the just when you think, and I did question it at the finish, I questioned, is this a babyface turn? Like, what the heck are they doing right now? He delivers that promo. Man, at the end, it wasn't a brilliant promo, but it was smart, and it was quick, and it was angry, and it reminded me a lot of that other turning point moment we talked about or that I went nuts for when he beat AJ Styles for the belt in that th triple threat match and delivered that promo on SmackDown afterwards about, you know, drinking the, your tears or whatever and eating your flesh, whatever the heck that promo was, which was fantastic, <laughs> by the way. He delivered that. This was a continuation of that. Don't look now. His hairline's going in the wrong direction, Adam, but his booking is right where it needs to be. I don't know that there's a ceiling for I don't know that there's a ceiling for him that maybe you would be happy with because I don't think he's really more than a mid carter who contends for the world title a couple times, never really wins. You know, you've seen guys like that before. I think he's in that camp. He's a heel who can be in a main event. Um, Jack Swagger like type of situation, but just not someone who should or would go over. And if they did, would be a really you know short transitional champion. But I think you have to give a lot of credit to the Miz tonight. He made Corbin look amazing. Corbin's good. Miz made him look amazing. Miz did the job for someone he didn't need to do the job for. And this is a guy in Miz who's carried this intercontinental title for I don't have the number. It has to be a couple hundred days at this point. And you know. I don't know when he's going to lose it because there doesn't necessarily seem to be any care for WWE mm -hmm. to have that title be contested anytime soon. Yet, despite all of that, despite needing to keep the title strong and remain strong himself, still does the job to Baron Corbin. So good for him. Good match. Solid. You know, we thought this would might be the worst match of the card. I don't think it was. All right. I got an interspersing question unrelated to this just came to me the, for all the anger I had for the Triple H ending. Did you have any feels? Did you catch any tees right before the finish that this was the setup to the Shane Triple H? So I caught some feels thinking that Triple H and Shane were going to align against Stephanie. And they oh, had some no. oh, wacky no. twist. Well, no, because that he sided with him. I'm like, whoa, if this is actually a legitimate brand and turn... I don't know why he would have turned on his wife. It doesn't make sense. Um, I have some, my own theories I've shared with you separately uh, on Slack this, this, <laughs> this evening. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll keep that off in, in this corner podcast. But if in this corner to... after hours podcast on Patreon <laughs> for, uh, for five 99, just don't share the audio with anybody. <laughs> but if he had done that, that would have been a completely unexpected. What we want is unexpected. We want to swerve that, you know, we are not looking forward to, we didn't see it coming. And that would have been one. And all of a sudden he sides with Shane. Shane has a lot of his NXT guys on that show. And who knows what happens from there. And I only but bring, obviously that didn't happen. So I, as yeah. soon as that didn't happen, as soon as he pedigreed Shane, I was like, ah, this is over. I only I bring care. this up because last week after our show, everyone's tweeting me going, how would you guys not mention that maybe we're setting up to Shane trips? And I go, the reason why I didn't mention it is because everybody knows that's the one feud that I want more than any. If we're going to dip back right. and bring back the old guys, that's the WrestleMania main event. I've said it a billion times with Vince as the referee choosing between his son and his son-in-law for control of the company. I just didn't even want to play into that if I felt like there wasn't a chance. And I felt like there wasn't a chance, like they don't need to go there. That's the kind of feud, Adam, for 
tell me if I'm wrong, that they would only go to because it's so juicy and it's so real and it's so money if they needed to, if the competition was so real, if this idea of my revolution of the indies forming together and NJPW making a run, that's the kind of storyline they would go to if they needed to because there's that's not Austin McMahon, so I'm not trying to compare the two, but there's runoff under Austin McMahon under juice in a feud like that. You ins- you can If you can get a feud with Triple H, Triple H, Shane, and Vince heading into WrestleMania, you can book it Attitude Era style, or at least caliber. And yes, I think you pull it out when you really need it. That said, we don't know how long Vince might be able to be a special guest referee in a ring to actually actively do that. And we don't necessarily know how long Triple H and Shane will be able to perform at the levels they are performing right now. And credit to both of them, because Shane for not even being in a ring in a long time. He's put himself in a ton of matches re- recently, and he's completely held his own again in every single one of them. Uh, what did you have? A cell match against Styles at WrestleMania. We th- That was one of the best matches of the night. Tonight, he was very good. So I don't know. I mean, I think you do save it, but I don't think you wait five years. I think that should be coming in a year or two, but that's an angle you have to build up to. We talk about planting seeds, you know, three, six months down the line. You need six month build for that to happen. And I thought, and I just don't, second, and I just don't I think thought. that's happening now. And if it is, it's going to be completely rushed. Yeah, and I thought for a second we were they, there was gonna they were gonna do that. I thought for a second they were setting that up, and then they didn't go in that direction. And that's fine. It, I don't think they need to. Like I said, it is safer to go in the angle Triple H. You just got to get Jason and Jordan involved. More to come. We got to speed through the rest yeah. of this card. The Team Raw Women's matchup. You know what? I don't have anything bad to say about it. It was quick. There was uh, some creative spots. Somehow Tamina Snuka was like the borderline MVP of the match. The whole setup is to make Asuka look strong. And you know what? They accomplished that. For how soft-pedaled they opened her feud with Emma, they accomplished this in a big way. I almost want to say, entertainment-wise, pretty damn good. But booking-wise, great. Yeah, two quick things here. One, I thought they really missed an opportunity, whether to bring Paige up or bring someone else up from NXT to fill that last spot on SmackDown. Instead, they just put Natalia in the match. I mean, I love her. I, I told you I was really happy that she won the title. thought she deserved it you know, a couple months ago when she got it. But, I mean, completely wasted opportunity. Um, having Raw, both Raw teams, men and women, go over just shows the, the importance they put on that brand, and they just don't care about burying SmackDown. The SmackDown men's team got completely buried in that match. If you just look at the way it played out, they were non-competitive for most of the match. Um and then here, you know, Raw, obviously, I think they won two to one as well. And they just looked really solid. Uh, so outside of that, not really a lot of complaints, but just missed opportunities. As long as Oscar went over, we said heading into it, we'd be happy. And that's what happened. So we're happy. And let's hit the last match on this card, uh, which was actually the first match on this card. The Shield going over the New Day ended with that triple powerbomb, super triple powerbomb from the second rope. What did you think? I never imagined that this could be, you know, the, the curtain jerker in a good way. Curtain jerker, meaning like set the stage of, of the intensity and the action, the drama we would see. And that's in the end exactly the role that it played. It was like a superstar almost dream match overflowing with superstars. And yet it it, it was used to play a role and to, and to almost play a job. And it succeeded in that job. It set the tone perfectly. There weren't any real next level wrinkles in terms of storyline. And that was my big asterisk coming in. You know, it's like star power wise and in ring ability wise, this has all the potential to be very good, but I'm like, it could be great if they sort of plant seeds 
of division on both sides, really. You know, if 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 one of two outcomes happened, where whichever team lost is suddenly looking at each other and saying, you know, should we, you know, is there any seeds of discontent here? They didn't need to do that because, again, this card was gratuitously packed with names. So, you know what? I don't want to say they gave us a safe match because all six guys sold out. It's pretty damn good B-plus of a match. But at the same time, there's really nothing else to say about that. Some fun spots. The triple power bomb, the second rope was great, but it served its role in the end. I just don't think I was ready for the match. Um, coming into that show, it was not only was was I not expecting it to be first, it was a really long buildup into the match. And then the match started extremely slow. So all, like everyone in that crowd, when that match hit, when it started, should have been standing on their feet, excited, ready. But it took so long to get to the first bell and then so long to get to the fast-paced action that the crowd, and I don't blame them for this, was sitting on their hands. They wanted that hot show to start, and if you were going to put this match on there, you bring them to the ring, you get it going, maybe a quick promo, and that's it. I think there was like 10 minutes of build just to get into the match. They showed a video package, uh, New Day spoke for a while, then you have the shield coming in from the crowd. Enough. Like, just start the match, or don't put it first in the show. Like, those are your two options. So I think it suffered for that. I have a feeling when I go back and watch it a second time, I'm going to like it a lot more than I did watching it the first time. Because like I said, I just wasn't in the mindset where I wanted to see, or I was ready to see these two teams go head to head. Thought it was a really solid finish, really good match overall. I think a B plus is totally fair, maybe a B, um, but it was good. All right, one more note before we get off of Survivor Series. And again, there's no reason to mention the undercard. Enzo Amore defended this title, but again, nobody cares. Worthless. Uh, we t- I talked about how gratuitous and overloaded this card was of stars. Cena, we talked about earlier in terms of in the end, he didn't really do much. What is the conversation that got him on the card in your best guess? Was it WWE saying, hey, John, you know, you're in shape, you're free. We could use your name to best load up this card to get it over the top. Or is this Cena going, you know, I want a taste of that pay-per-view check and that's going to be a big card (laughs) and I could set up my flight to get there in time. So, yeah, put me as the fifth member. I'll job out to Angle. That's totally fine because... Like, we really wanted, I wanted his appearance to be better. He was the only guy that didn't wear the blue t-shirt, by the way. Like, yeah, his jorts were blue, so it made you feel like he was on Team SmackDown. (laughs) But he had a red belt and red underwear sticking out. And we already know he's a free agent. So I'm like, are they planting seeds that he's going to turn? No, they're not planting seeds. He's gratuitously your number five guy. But what's the conversation that gets him there? Where do you lean on that? So I think what happened, if I remember correctly, was... Brock Lesnar, Jinder Mahal was legitimately planned for this show. That was going to be the heavyweight champion versus champion match. And John Cena was going to come in as the special guest referee. So what I think happened is Cena had the date booked. WWE had him set. And then they decided to completely flip over this entire card and then said, hey, you know, we need something for John Cena. Let's throw him into the main event. That's what I think legitimately happened. Um, But there's no reasonable explanation for him being in this match. Uh, I think we, I don't even remember if we spoke about it at the top of the show. Didn't contribute anything. Didn't need to be there. Took a place of a younger guy who could have been there. I like John. I think he's some of the, he's doing some of his best work ever in the ring and on the mic in this part-time role that he currently has, but they don't know what they're doing with him. He should not be coming back for a single match. He should not be coming back for two or three weeks at a time. Let him come in and do a few months at a time, do a storyline and then exit 
This is not working what they're doing with him. He's not Chris Jericho where a single match against Kenny Omega at a major pay-per-view is going to draw massively. I know he's their biggest draw. I know Dave Meltzer always says he's John Cena's their biggest draw. But he wasn't even in a one-on-one rivalry match here. He was the fifth guy he was announced at the last minute. I just think, didn't work for me. I think it was more about him. You know, in every promo and every feud, when they do the part-timer you know, argument back to him and they turn the promo of what he gave to Rock ahead of you know Mania 28, whatever, back on him. I think this is him his way of like... You know, keeping the keeping the chains moving and saying, okay, yeah, yeah, I wasn't around, but guys, I was at I was at uh, Survivor Series and I was in the main event, so you can't say this about me. I literally think that's part of his mindset and his way of doing it because, again, no reason to go through it again. But it made no sense for him to be in this match. It made no sense that he was just a free agent four or five months ago, so they can milk his ratings on Raw. Like it's just stupid in the end, and it was gratuitous. And when you already have bonuses for fans like Bliss, uh, Charlotte, and Styles, Lesnar, which we weren't supposed to get, and New Day Shield, you really didn't need John Cena. So it makes me think it may have been more him than the company. But that's Survivor Series in the books. We want to give it a grade. And I re- I'm not kidding. Like, Adam, this may have been, at that point, better than Mania. You know how we like to make the argument on the show that Mania had that moment at the three-quarter mark where it's like, is this a top three Mania of all time? I know Nick, <laughs> right. Nick tries to say that that all, right. of, all of the whole all the whole Mania card sucked. He, he loves that argument. You're wrong, Nick. You're wrong. It does not. It was, it was very good. This ha- I think that I was more entertained to a certain degree at this card at that point. But overall, I'm going to give it a B. And I know you're going to say, really, for the finish of the main event, you're going to penalize what really was a great card top to bottom. Yeah, because you know what? They say perception is reality a lot of times, and your go-home perception, a great main event and a great ending can save a bad card, and it can also hurt it. This is a B overall. Um, That's just the way, you know, I'd love to go back to where we played as kids, but things change, and that's the way it is. I'm not giving you any grief for that. I actually completely agree. In a any major pay-per-view, if you want an A grade, if WWE wants us or anyone to give them an A grade, it has to end on an A note. That, there's no way you can put on a show and have it end poorly and give it a great grade. You just watched what was what considered one of the best UFC cards of all time, right? You were there. NYC. How, did it, how did it end? It ended fantastically with GSP coming back from four years to move up and wait and win the title. Oh, no, by the way, the last three ba- matches were all title fights and they all ended essentially by upset to a certain degree. Right. Rollins cashing in, you know, money in the bank at WrestleMania on, on Lesnar reigns. I don't, I don't know. I I have to think back on what I gave that entire event, but that's an a moment that ends in a pay-per-view or maybe it was a B or B plus, whatever. It was a good event. So that's how I feel about this. Uh, It's a B because it was really, really good. But if you switched Lesnar styles with this men's survivor series elimination match, you're probably getting an A out of me, or at least an A minus. That's no truer words have ever been spo- spoken. But Adam, Saturday night, also in Houston, same arena. We got NXT TakeOver War Games, and, and we'd be remiss if we didn't break this down in the minutes we have left because, you know, holy crap. Like, I'm going <laughs> to rip you Triple H for the first 40 minutes of the show, and then I'm going to turn right around and be like, you are the missing link. Okay, so on the camera, we're getting too much of your trips, and you're part of what's wrong with the company, but behind the camera, you are, to a lot of times, what's right with it? And the booking of this card was fan-friggin-tastic. Here's my opening statement where I may go too far and be hyperbolic, but that's okay. I talk a lot on the show. The end of 2014 
the beginning of 2015 was the golden era of NXT. I'm going to be really honest, to a large degree, that golden era brought me back as a full-time day-to-day, minute-by-minute wrestling fan, where I had been really loose in 2014 and kind of out of it. And I started to watch NXT, I started to get the feeling like this is really a separate organization. This is a this is the future of wrestling. The 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 crispness and rawness of the angles, the old school territory era feeling of how it was booked. It was gritty. The the in-ring product was different. I feel like, and we've talked about NXT's issues the last six months to a year of the changing of the guard on the roster. I felt like Saturday night was sort of the the uh, the evolution of that changing of the guard. It was the next step forward. We saw a lot of people take a giant step forward. And Saturday's card, which I said on paper was one of their best in years, ended giving me that 2015 feeling that even though that Finn Balor run on top against Joe through the Nakamura title reigns, NXT was still in a good place. NXT has not been in a great place since spring 2015. To me, this card gave me those feels all over again. I think that's totally fair. I disputed your initial statement coming out of the show that you thought it was the best top to bottom in a while. And the reason I say that, and we'll go to these matches somewhat one-on-one, I thought the women's match was a little bit lacking. I thought the opening match didn't do anything for me at all. Um, and the rest of it we'll, we'll go through, and I, I really enjoyed. But I, I think any time that you're dealing with a developmental territory, which is basically what this is, you know, it's the Performance Center, it's a developmental brand, and they can say it's a third brand. It's, it, it, it is, um, but it's not in any competition with Raw and SmackDown. What it's in competition with is Ring of Honor. Because I watched a Ring of Honor TV show, I think Saturday night after this was over, And it just was a very polished, in my opinion, better version of an independent type of situation. And I think for that being what it is and trying to get over a lot of new names after bringing up a ton of people very quickly to the main roster, it totally delivered on Saturday. Totally, totally delivered. All right, we got to start off the top. It's almost like this is the War Games card, and I almost don't want to talk about the War Games match because... What got us there was so great, and I look, I'll look i look back on this card and not even really focus on the War Games, even though it was the main event, it was the top of it, because I love so many things that happened underneath it. I have a little bit of love-hate with the way the War Games match played out. Overall, yes, it was a success, all right? It was 36 minutes long. There was big spot after big spot. I'm not going to sit here and crap on WWE for changing the rules, for removing the roof, which is something a week ago we didn't know they were going to do. Because here's the dirty secret on War Games, all right? And you're somebody who didn't watch it in its prime, and you went back and watched it. And and I fully would understand if you had this opinion. It's an idea that's always been better in theory than it played out. Because in reality, you're in a tight cage with a low roof, and it's pretty much going to be kick-punch, kick-punch for the whole match, right? It's not going to be great action. Somebody's going to blade. Actually, almost everybody's going to blade. But the whole point about War Games is to settle a juicy feud. The Four Horsemen break Dusty's ankle, and he's got to get the Road Warriors and Sting, for example, to get his back to finally get you know the comeuppance against them. So changing the rules and having these big spots, in theory and argument, this might have been the best War Games match ever. Like I, they may, really may have been just on pure entertainment value in that realm. I didn't feel the storyline though made a ton of sense. I didn't feel the storyline hooked me. 
while I don't think that they bastardized the idea by any means, and I loved Dustin Rhodes and Arn Anderson in the front row, and Dustin Rhodes gave it the shout-out it deserved afterwards. They gave Dusty the tribute you would have wanted. Everything lined up. I didn't, though, exit with a pump-your-fist awesome because it was a heck of a cluster. It really was. Yes, the spots were fine, but it really was a heck of a cluster in the end where, you know what? For the limitations of this match, it was pretty darn good, but it was by no means a classic or by no means something that I'm going to celebrate. I think you're being a little too rough on it. Um, I agree completely about the storyline aspect, and this is this was my biggest problem with it. When I went back and watched some of these war games that you and Nick kind of told me I needed to see, I had to read. I read about the cards before I watched the event because I wanted to know why are they in this match. And there there are legitimate month-long feuds that need to get settled in this structure, and there's no other opportunity but to do it. AOP and Roderick Strong like just teamed up on an NXT show and immediately William Regal came out and goes, we have to settle this in war games. And okay, cool. Like the crowd popped because war games is back, but this didn't settle a, a blood feud. It was a tag. It was a, a they lost the tag, you know, sanity lost the tag team title or AOP lost the tag team titles to sanity undisputed era interfered. And now there's war games. Like there was never a step two to get to the step three. So I agree with that. I actually sent a tweet when I found out they were taking the top off the, off the cell or whatever you want to call it. And I said, well, this isn't war games without a top. And I was proven wrong by that completely because all they had to do with to fix it and good on them for doing it was saying anyone that escapes disqualified. All right. So you can't escape. And that saved it. It allowed those big spots. I thought the match was above X. It exceeded my expectations. What I didn't like is that WWE cameraman, and maybe it's, just how it's set up and it didn't really work. They missed multiple spots in that match because they completely forgot. Maybe it was the director completely forgot. There were two rings. So they focused on that main ring. And I know in almost every war games, most of the action goes on in one ring and there's just some you know extraneous stuff on the other one, but they missed multiple big spots, the super collider, the double, double power bomb. They only got one of it. They had to go to the replay. So if you're going to do these two matches, these two ring matches, you have to either get a wider angle or you have to have action going on in both. Use both rings more. I almost wish that in other matches, you don't have to forget the second ring is there. Like you can throw someone over those ropes and they, maybe they run and dive over those ropes. They jump off a different turnbuckle. Those rings are there. So use them throughout the show. So that was my problem with it. But the match as a whole, I really liked. I enjoyed it. It entertained me. And out of the four war games I saw prior to this and then this one, it was easily the best. It's just I'm in a weird, really weird spot because it's like I love the history of war games, but I almost know in my heart, like I'm the one who's always calling. They need to go back to that. But I almost know in my heart, you, there's only so much you can do with that concept. And I, I maybe I left this disappointed because I want to see these three teams maybe in just a regular triple threat match using tables outside. And, and, you know, you go back to the takeover in Orlando for Mania. We saw an incredible triple threat tag team match. It's in the running for match of the year, right? It was AOP. It was Revival. It was DIY. Fantastic. Incredible. And I almost wanted to see that here. It's like, look, they didn't bastardize history. It just was what it was. I think I gave it a B or a B plus. I just wasn't coming out of there like, man, I want to see that every year. You know, they, they created an elimination chamber, which, you know, you and I both said it over DMs. That was sort of the... It made war games. It was the modern day war games. It escalated the idea to a better direction. And while they brought in some elimination chamber aspects to this match with them in the cage, some, there were some things about it that was just clunky. And in the end, 
you know, it's not like every War Games match ended good. There was always an awkward pin that just sort of broke out out of nowhere, and then the match was over. But I just think that in the end, I just sort of went, you know, it's pretty good. It was good that they did that. I don't need it every year, though. Was your MVP of the match? Because let's talk about the match a little bit before we move on. Killian Dane, because for me, it was easily Killian Dane. I mean, he had, you know... The playing of the with playing with the crowd and to the crowd by pulling out the tables was a great moment before he finally entered the cage. And then, you know, he really sold out on a bunch of bigs. I mean, doing a Van Terminator at that size is absurd. You know, I mean, shout out, by the way, to Alexander Wolf for getting uh, hard weight on the table on that on that fall away uh, suplex. But uh, yeah, Dane really made a step forward that he hadn't had since entering that. Uh, you know, Andre the Joe Bear Battle Royal at uh, at Mania, you know, like this was a good step forward to him. It's a side topic, and we don't have a lot of minutes left, but the Undisputed Era was supposed to win, and they did win. But they're failing to impress, and it goes back to their argument we mentioned about their size, and it's not all three of them. I think Kyle O'Reilly every day is looking better. You know what I mean? He's great solo work. He does MMA-inspired work. He was great in this match. Adam Cole's just not doing it, and they booked him as a chicken crap heel in this one, and he tried to escape, and he spent half the match on top of the cage. And at the end, when the three of them were doing their super pose, it just wasn't working. Is it that a guy like Adam Cole is only going to work in the indies, or is it that they're not getting the right booking? I can't figure it out because they couldn't really ask for better booking, but it's just not working. Yeah, I don't think there's been enough development of the faction. Um, they have never given a reason for doing what they're doing outside of it's our time, which is literally everyone's reason for doing everything. And it's the first point that I brought up ever about them. There's no size. There's no intimidation factor. You can't just get by by being smart. You can be really smart, but you need the muscle to back you up. Triple H and Shawn Michaels, they're bigger dudes. They were really smart. They had China to back them up. And it was just China, but it was China. These guys don't even have a China, let alone a Kevin Nash or let alone, you know, whatever. I thought this match, because of the open top, we were going to see an additional member. Didn't happen. Um, I don't know where they go. It's very clear that Undisputed Era is going to reign over NXT, you know, for nine months or so, maybe a year. The hope is that as WWE signs either more ROH people, independent people, as they build the brand, as they find dudes in the performance center, they need to jack up this faction if they really want it to work. That's yeah, just my opinion. It's just it's weird. You know, Triple H and NXT booking wise, they rarely ever do things that feel like paint by numbers, that feel like going through the motions. This in you know, sort of invasion angle has really felt watered down going through the motions. So maybe ultimately that's it. The lack of development into their personalities, why are they doing this, you know, what's their motivation hasn't really come through yet. These guys have a chance to be the face of this brand. You really hope they can get it right before it's too late. But a guy who finally got it right at him is my man Cien Almas, Andrade Almas, and he wins the NXT Championship, and I didn't see it coming, and he got Drew McIntyre to put forth a hellacious match. This was a great match. I, I really think for, for its limitations, and why I say its limitations, because Drew McIntyre's run hasn't been that great. That Bobby Roode feud, you know, they tried their best, but that's not like top-shelf classic matches. I'm sorry, the the Bobby Roode-Shinsuke Nakamura feud didn't have great chemistry, wasn't top-shelf awesome matches. I didn't have high expectations that this match was going to be great, and I think it was Cien that made it great. I think it was a, for what its, expect- for what its ceiling could have been, they maxed out. Like, this was a damn good of a B-plus, almost A-minus match. And some of that was Selena, Selena Vega's, you know, perp doing. 
by the way, the, the fiance of Austin Aries. And a lot of that was that almost has made a hell of a leap. He has. And this is a guy, you know, he was La Sombra in Lucha Libre down in Mexico, and he was a massive signing for WWE. And they have told his story over, you know, 12 months, 18 months since he debuted. And, and it's been incredible. They literally figured out a way to build someone's entire character. And you wish they did it on the main roster, but they're doing it in NXT. They took a guy who, who came in with all the hype, all the news uh, about him, all the headlines, I guess, in, in Mexico especially. And he kind of flatlined. Like he had to lose a bunch of matches because they needed other people to go over. So he did the job. And then they did, someone it clicked to someone in there. I don't know who it was. Maybe it was Triple H. We need this guy to job out and hit rock bottom. And we have a plan for him to bring him all the way back to the top. I thought it was going to be way too early to take the title off Drew McIntyre. He literally, I think, just won it, right? At the, at the last NXT TakeOver, beating Bobby Roode. So I, I, I didn't think he was great with the title, but I just didn't think a title change would happen that quickly in NXT. The way they did it in, in this match, the way Almas went over, the ability he showed. He's only 28 years old. I thought, we, I think, as long as he stays with Selena Vega, she continues to be his mouthpiece. This guy could be up in the main roster really quick. I mean, I think he's going to get a little run with this title, maybe six months or so, but he can make a quick rise to WWE. They need a star like him with his type of ability and her type of ability on and the main I, roster. I shudder to think what they would do with him, what they would do with him on the main roster for, yeah, that's for how they screwed yeah, up true. some guys, but man, are they getting this right? And she speaks so perfectly for him bringing, you know, the sexy factor, but bringing in the toughness, but it's really, she, I mean, she can work somehow too. I mean, these Hurricane Ranas, they spiked Hurricane Ranas, you know, the spot early in the match where McIntyre caught her and, and prevented that. And then they bring it back late in the match. I mean, everything is perfect. Drew is going to be a guy, and he said it last week, he's going to do better work on the main roster. So you might as well get him up there. Hopefully this injury he suffered, what was that, to his bicep? Hopefully that's uh, not too yeah. serious. Torn, they think, and they think he needs surgeries. What Triple H said. Yeah. Well, you know what? This match was basically, I think I gave it an A minus. And, and shout out to those guys for making that happen. Now, you mentioned off the top, you didn't really love this Fatal Four Way Women's match. Not a huge fan. Um, I had no problem with Ember Moon going over. I actually originally predicted it would be Nikki Cross, and then like two minutes before NXT even started, I found out she's from Garland, Texas. Ember Moon and trained by Booker T. I didn't know either of those things. And once I found that out, I was like, oh man, Ember, Ember Moon's winning this match. I think she's great. I think she's really talented in the ring. The stunner off the top rope, the eclipse. I mean, how can you beat that? That's an incredible finisher. The match was pretty good. Um, I just didn't know that it totally worked for me, the entire situation with Asuka suddenly being really happy to give her the title. Yes. Um, Ember Moon kind of getting that shine and not being able to speak on the mic about what it meant to her. She doesn't have the total package, I think, to carry the title. And the way the match unfolded and she won it, it just didn't seem like it was it was the right move for me. So maybe me disagreeing with the booking has affected how I thought the match went, but I just wasn't totally thrilled. I think it was. I think it did because match wise, my only issue with this was, was that it was nine minutes and 52 seconds and that the finish sort of came out of nowhere. I thought the spots they put together, the flow, the, the grittiness, the energy was all like almost perfect for, for the limitations of the four workers. I mean, this was a really good match. I thought that was the best in-ring work Peyton Royce has ever put forth. Like, she really yes. stepped up her game and was on that level. We know Cross is great. Moon has made leaps and bounds. I'm not against them giving her the belt, even though I would have much rather seen it on Cross, on Kyrie Sane to see what she can do. I mean, when Kyrie Sane hit that, you know, what do they call her elbow? Insane elbow. Insane yeah. elbow. I mean, it was insane. Like, that was an incredible spot. 
that the Oscar thing though was just so weird. And I know that Oscar's a baby face on the main roster, and I know that people love her, and she's probably better being off Goofy in the long run. But she was far too Goofy, giving the title to to Moon, interrupting Regal and saying, "No, I want to give it to her," and then hugging her. You really thought they were setting up to give her one of those MMA wheel kicks where Oscar stands over her. Imagine how badass that would have been. Oscar stands over her and goes. And still nobody's ready for Asuka and then walks yep. off because then you plant that seed for the future. You can show that video package ad nauseum three years from now on the main roster. Like you miss an opportunity there, but they had to do that to make up for the fact that with Asuka out of this division, it's a step down for anybody to win the title. Right. So this was the only way they could really put over Moon without actually letting her beat Asuka. And she so came so show so, so show Asuka in the crowd, giving her a round of applause, bringing her into the ring shows that she's not in the division like it reminds you oh yeah she never beat oscar for this title and oscar probably i guess at some point would have done the job to ember moon or maybe she wouldn't have i don't know but that it, it kept reminding me like this isn't as good as it has been i think this is the lowest point the nxt women's division has been at yes. since you know in years and look it had charlotte flair and sasha banks yeah. and oscar like it had the, the greatest of... class of four women in history and you had yeah. bliss with that, and she and Dana Brooke, who was much better in NXT than she is on the main roster, so that was a group right there. But here's the thing: you give yeah. WWE credit when they deserve it. Credit them for not having Oscar lose the championship in my eyes, and credit them at the very least. Where four months ago, five months ago, we had said there really is nobody else. Like whoever's going to win this belt is not going to look believable. Maybe they didn't come fully around on that, but this match was not a letdown. And if any of these four had won the belt, I wouldn't have been disappointed. Maybe Royce, I would have, even though I love, I probably love Royce the most out of any of these four, but you know, I mean, come on, man. I mean, you know, come on. But uh, what I'm really saying is maybe she would have been the least believable in terms of her wrestling, but still, you know, I want to see what's next in this division because they've, they've done a good job getting these four women over. And, you know, I don't know if anyone's going to go up to the main roster soon, but let's see what Moon can do. Maybe we're going to see some hellacious matches with Moon and Cross, Moon and Sane. You know, let's see what we got here. I want to end this pod on a super duper high note. So before we get to the match that I've wanted to talk about this entire hour, did you think anything positive came out of Laura Sullivan Cassius Ono, or was it kind of just an expected finish for you? I thought it was better than expected for a opener, which was just going to set the tone of a stiff match. I thought they really went above and beyond to get Lars over for a five-minute match. I actually really enjoyed it, and where I had not been sold on Lars at all, outside of the fact that he's a big, big dude, and he looks scary, and he looks like he could play somebody from any country they want. And if you want to put him on the main roster tomorrow, just for his size alone, it would probably work. Like, seriously, like he's that impressive looking. They did a great job putting him over here. And shout out to Cassius Ono for doing it. So that was a fine match to open. And luckily we found out that the Pete Dunne, Johnny Gargano match for the UK Championship on this undercard. You're going to you're going to watch that this week coming up on NXT. So shout out to them for making that happen. For me on this match, first of all, and I've said this before to you, I don't get Cassius Ono like. There's nothing appealing about him in the ring, his character. I don't get why he's there. I understand. I, I do know why he's there. He's an older guy who's a name, a recognition name for NXT fans, and he's putting over some of these he's guys. He's a great so, okay. worker. The the wrestler, it, like he's considered a oh, he great works hard. indie worker. You can tell he works hard, and he has a moveset that should not he should not have for a guy his size. So I'm not putting him down his ability. I just, as someone who didn't watch NXT when he was first there, uh, and I never saw him as, was he, Chris Hero yeah. out in the independents? As someone who doesn't have a frame of reference for him, to me, he's an older, larger guy who just doesn't bring much to the table outside of, like, wow, a guy his size can actually do that. That's crazy. That That's my extent with him. With Lars, I just don't think this guy has been built up to be anything. Like, yeah, he's a beast. 
and he beat another really big guy and he did it in impressive fashion, but he doesn't have any character. He just screams. He's like Braun Strowman has, has been more developed than Lars Sullivan. And I know Lars has been at this a lot shorter, but for this to be the opening match of an NXT takeover card just didn't do it for me. Some of these opening matches that they've had, Gargano, Almas, and some of these other ones have been incredible hot ways to start the show. I saw these guys walk into the ring. I'm like, I don't want to see this. Like, there was just no attraction for me to this match. There was whatsoever. no sex appeal, and I don't mean I don't mean that in the way it sounds. But I mean, there, you're right. Character-wise, there was no like like when I see CN almost, I'm like, oh, I want to see like character-wise, right. what's what is he going to do next? Yeah, I, I can get behind where you're going on that. But there was basically no hook for me. But the match this weekend that had the greatest hook, at least for me, is the one we're going to talk about last year. Alistair Black against Velveteen Dream, Patrick Clark. Oh. Alistair Black went over. The very end of the match, he said Velveteen Dream's name and gave him a massive, massive bump on the mic. How did that play out for you? This was, I mean, look, the MVP of this card, and think about how many people made, I mean, think about CN Almas, think about Ember Moon, think about even the Undisputed Era, think about the cage, the War Games match in general. So many people could have been the MVP of this card in a losing effort. Velveteen Dream, Patrick Clark, who somehow was only age 22, like it's not even believable, was the MVP of this. And that's saying that knowing how big Triple H is on Aleister Black and knowing how awesome Aleister Black is. And by the way, if he went to the main roster tomorrow, you would not think that was too soon. Like he's that good. This really, you know what this felt like? In MMA and UFC, when 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 John Jones faced Ryan Bader and they were like Bader was unbeaten, Jones just had that one loss, and it was like, oh my God, one of these two is probably going to be the future light heavyweight. It's like these great ma- matchups in UFC when you get two guys that are like so early in their rise, and you're like, these guys are going to fight each other. These guys should be fighting each other for the title in three, four years. This felt like that, like seeing these two guys at this point, and it was a near perfect match. And this was kind of a theme for this weekend. And I've already mentioned this talking about Bliss and Charlotte, for example. It wasn't a near-perfect match because it was spot, spot, spot. It was a near-perfect match because the psychology was out of this world in this match. And that's where you go back to Velveteen Dream being a future superstar. Because who has that ability at 22 with like one year in the business to know their character that well and to be able to deliver this type of psychology with so many in-between moments and their characters are so deep, and that's why you can have these great in-between moments of them sitting up on the canvas and staring at each other and get that type of reaction from the crowd. And when I look at Velveteen Dream, I'm like, he kind of looks like John Jones, by the way. Yes. He's got the Prince gimmick. He basically wrestles and has the body of Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Not, it's not a perfect comparison, but it, it works. And he's got some of these classic old-school Rick rudeness to him gold dust to him in terms of knowing how to play that character when you have after this match kevin owens tweeting hey uh velveteen dream they'll be saying your name for years to come which i'm I'm quote i'm paraphrasing but you know that you got over and you made an impact i kind of like that black ended up winning this so that they both were elevated from this you want to make one more ufc comparison this was like the ultimate fighter one when uh, when you basically had Stefan Bonner in that incredible match with Forrest, and they both get the contract afterwards, right? Only the winner was supposed to get the contract. This had that moment where you're like, I want both these guys to get like called up tomorrow or get like a huge raise because holy crap, that was a performance. They built a match, which for me was probably the second best of the entire weekend behind Lesnar Styles, on the concept of a Prince gimmicked 22-year-old kid wanting a demonic guy from Amsterdam to say his name. 
And it was incredible. The build was incredible. Almost every, no, not almost, every single time they were on NXT TV building this, you know, whatever the segment was, whether it was a match with interference, a backstage segment, whatever the case, it was incredible. The match, start to finish, was incredible. You you were talking about the, the mentality of it. The action was great, too. They both are incredible athletes. Patrick Clark, and, and I say this seriously, not not exaggerating, he better be a future WWE champion. There, he has all the tools. He's 22 years old. He doesn't need to be a WWE champion next year or in two years or in four years. But this guy better hold the WWE title or the Universal title or whatever the hell it's called when they merge brands and then split them up again, which you know they're bound to do. He has the, the entire tool set or skill set. I'm sorry. Uh, he is great in the ring. We know that. He's incredible on the mic. He can develop his own character. He can continue developing a storyline with a guy who wasn't even, you know, what Aleister Black was doing for the first half of the feud was not playing along. So, you know, Velveteen Dream was basically doing this for the most part by himself. Then they get into the match and all he wanted, the win for him in this match was getting the guy to say his name. He didn't need to win. There was no point where Velveteen Dream ever said, and I'm going to beat you in the ring and prove I'm the better man. I'm the more talented wrestler. Never. All he wanted was his name to be said. And that's so, so he comes out with the victory at the end of the match, even in a losing effort. And why that's so, you just summed it up. That's so perfect because saying your, your name, it works for his character because he's doing this Prince Rick James stuff. But saying your name means give me my respect. And in real life, he earned his respect with this performance. I mean, this guy comes from the tough enough system, which has been a debacle system for WWE. You've had like The Miz. And Patrick Clark, like, how many success stories have we had, right? Like, there's been, like, a small handful. And this guy comes out, and he wasn't even impressive in that show, by the way, right? And then we go to to the uh, Performance Center before Mania this year, meaning you and I, and uh, we get a tour. And they've got people in the ring sort of doing different scenarios, and you can take video of it, you can take pictures. They had the crash ring, the crash pad ring. And I was specifically watching Patrick Clark. I don't think he had even developed the dream character at that point or debuted it. And no, he, he was just doing sick moves off the top rope onto the crash pad. And you're just like, this guy is next level freak athleticism. And if he was only next level freak athleticism, I'd probably still want to watch him the same way I still pop to this day for Evan Bourne, Matt Seidel. You know what I mean? I still pop for him. But no, he has a command of his character, like I said off the top. And by the way, so does Aleister Black, who was oh, Tommy yeah. End in the Indies just a year ago. And I've seen, I saw him with Evolve. He was incredible. Like... These two guys, you want to build around them NXT for a long time. All right, I want to transit. We're we got to get out of here, but here's my <laughs> one point. You know what we haven't seen? We've seen like invasions from NWO to even uh, Nexus, right? In the original NXT invasion, right? It's played out. It's played out all the time to a certain degree. Uh, the Undisputed Era is doing an invasion right now. Is there an opening for Triple H to do a real invasion on the main roster with the NXT brand and so using think- these guys as the face of it? to basically push more people to go watch it on the network? I interrupted you, but I think there was the opportunity. I think that opportunity is now lost because they've brought up way too, not way too many because everyone was ready and they developed them. So they had to leave, but there's been so many people brought up to the main roster out of NXT that the people that are left cannot be brought up right now. They need this roster for the next year. You know, they can bring up an individual person here or there, but there cannot be any type of massive exodus of people. Now, if you had maybe two guys from the current roster and they formed with Bobby Roode and and Balor and Joe, or maybe not those particular people, but things like that, maybe you give them, uh, 
what's his name uh, in Brizango, um, Tyler Breeze. You throw guys like him in there that aren't really necessarily doing much. Maybe then you can create a faction based on people that are already there, men and women, and a couple current people. But I, I just don't think they're set up for that right now. They did try it with Nexus. You have to remember that well, NXT was not as fully formed, you know, then as it is now. But it worked. Like they got a lot of heat. All those guys got over. Daniel Bryan was in that. Wade Barrett was in that. Wade Barrett was competing for the WWE title like a few months into that run. Um, so it, it, it's happened and it's worked, but they really need to build up that roster on TV. There's only so many NXT people on an NXT TV show right now and even fewer that you want to see. Yeah, and that's a good point. And it's, it kind of also goes back to that, like, they need the, you know, the TV ratings is important for them. They don't want to, you know, like, they, they want to st- push people to the network, of course, but the money that they get for the TV contracts is still a big part of it. And it just exposes their problem. Their developmental system is almost too good, and it's more advanced and better than their develop a star on the main roster system is. Like, basically, they're better at building stars than they are at knowing what to do with them at the next stop on the line. You know, they're like, it's, they've got a, too many stars and not an... I don't want to say not enough spots to use them because they have so many hours of TV and they got, they split the brands they do, but they just don't know what to do with the weapons they have in the end. What was your grade on the entire War Games card? Let's wrap this up. Uh, I'm going to really... It's... Uh, a minus? B yeah, plus, fair. if there's a grade between A minus, I get in this problem a lot on the grading system. If there's a grade between B plus and A minus, it's it's really where it deserves to be. I think if that's always the case, I always err towards the B plus because for something to be an A, you shouldn't have a question, really. And the A minus would be like little little tiny issue, you know, with it. And I think there were some bigger issues than that. So it's a B plus for me. If you told me that Aleister Black and Velveteen Dream was on Survivor Series, you know, or like at WrestleMania this next year, I'd be down for it. Like, I want to see this again. I'm almost upset that that angle ended. That's how good it was. And if you're listening to this podcast and you, and you're still listening and you only watch survivor series and you don't watch NXT, you don't need to watch NXT if you don't want to, but watch takeover war games. And for me, put on Alistair black velveteen dream, and tell me how much you liked it. And I've had a few people kind of tweet at me and basically be like, you're talking about the revolution. The real revolution is that NXT is a lot of times better than the main roster. And obviously Survivor Series, the first 95% of that kind of, you know, dispelled that. But I want to close with this DM slide from Omar Al Rashid, our guy from Australia. He just summed up basically our feeling on Survivor Series. We just spilled it out to you. He says, B. Campbell, they spent all weekend massaging, touching, and teasing the feel hole, but failed to produce Mark Milk. And we had the bottles ready. We were going to douse ourselves like Kurt Angle. We were, I mean, the under juice was, was fermenting. And in the end, it just didn't happen. But that was our in-depth and, and gratuitous wrap-up from ourselves <laughs> on Survivor Series and NXT. In the end, it was a great weekend for wrestling for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, for Nick Costos, who you'll be hearing again in this week's show. I am B. Campbell. The performance-enhancing audio was our pleasure. Follow us on Twitter. Give us the reviews on Apple Podcasts. Do all that good stuff. But on the way out here, Adam, I mean, we like to play this sound by a lot. But the reality is we got two words for the people. We out. <laughs>